Welcome to Beyond Bankruptcy, financial knowledge for all consumers, with your host, Eric Wilson. Through each episode, you'll learn from financial management professionals, collection experts, bankruptcy chapter 13 trustees, financing professionals, lenders and creditors, and pastors and priests. We'll go beyond bankruptcy into practical, nuts and bolts financial education. You can find this show at www.ericwilsonlaw.com and on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Now here's the host of Beyond Bankruptcy, Eric Wilson. Hey, good morning, everyone. I am Eric Wilson. This is Beyond Bankruptcy. And today I am super excited to have a great guest today, John Steinkamp. Uh, John Steinkamp is a uh, very super uh, consumer defense protection attorney out of Indiana. And um, we've sort of got a great story and his super paralegal and assistant, Crystal Stout. Um, I met John sort of by chance. Uh, I was watching a NACA webinar and he was putting on a great uh, demonstration and educational series about credit reporting and uh, fair debt collections. And I reached out to him and John has always been super nice with his time and uh, reached directly back out to me. And uh, we've established a, a working friendship. And John, Crystal, welcome today. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you so much for having us. We understand this is your first one, so we're excited to be part of it. Yeah, what a great guest. I know you've got um, super interesting information for our guests. Uh, but John, first, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your practice. Sure. Uh, so my name is John Steinkamp. I'm an attorney in Indianapolis, Indiana, and uh, I've been doing bankruptcy work for about 20 years now, which makes me feel really old. Um, but that aside, about 15 years ago, I added consumer protection uh, lawsuits uh, and claims to my practice, and I began finding FDCPA claims. FDCPA stands for the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. And it's the consumer protection statute that governs how debt collectors must uh, conduct themselves when they're chasing debts. Uh, so it, as you can imagine, it goes hand in hand with a bankruptcy practice because it's usually debt, debt collectors that push my clients to me. Uh, and so I'm able to go through uh, my clients' cases and find uh, claims that they have against debt collectors. And these claims are all contingency fee based, so nothing comes out of the client's pocket. They get $1,000. The debt collector's got to pay my attorney's fees. Everybody's happy. Over the last uh, oh, 15 years or so, I've been uh, fortunate enough to find over 1,500 of uh, these cases for my clients. So it's been very rewarding for uh, my clients and myself and my staff. Um, and then about five years ago or so, I started to add the FCRA, Fair Credit Reporting Act, claims to my practice. Um, and then uh, Crystal came on board and I gave her the project of uh, pulling clients' credit reports after the bankruptcy is over with to find uh, claims there. And as it turns out, uh, it's very, very common for there to be errors on credit reports when the bankruptcy is over with. And Crystal has done a great job about you know, taking that hand off and going with it and uh, developing uh, a practice on her own. And then since then, Crystal has become her own credit repair organization. She started her own small business of uh, reports with Crystal. And then finally, um, we came, or Crystal came up with the idea of uh, producing a small business called Jumpstart Your Credit, which is going to be a uh, educational and entertaining course that clients can take after the bankruptcy is over with 
that will teach them how to uh, rebuild their credit in a responsible and efficient manner after the bankruptcy is over with. And it's also affordable. Yes. There's a lot of programs out there, but honestly, everybody just wants to make the, the money. They don't really care about the individual that needs to know the knowledge. So it's actually an affordable service to to the clients. Which is important since they're coming out of bankruptcy. They need all the resources they can get uh, to uh, move forward with their lives. So so we kept that in mind because I know, you know my clients often live paycheck to paycheck to a certain degree, like a lot of Americans. And so, so we needed to make this, again, educational, entertaining, and affordable. Yeah, Crystal, I didn't know that you had uh, such the entre- entrepreneurial spirit about you. That's awesome. Congratulations. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> hey, and John, you know, I know my consumer bankruptcy uh, clients, the, the credit repair process um, and their credit score is such an important part of when they come in and their mindset. So two things. Number one, how did you morph your practice into the FCRA and the FDCPA? And how did y'all come up with the idea of really uh, building upon your practice and adding these other components with Crystal? Uh, so the FDCPA, I um, learned a long time ago. I went to a, um, a class uh, uh, hosted by Max Gardner, who is a bankruptcy attorney in North Carolina. And um, he teaches other lawyers how to find uh, consumer protection claims in their bankruptcy practice. And from that, I realized that bankruptcy or FDCPA work is probably the easiest uh, to integrate into a bankruptcy practice. So I uh, integrated that into my practice about 2010 or 11. And then again, um, uh, about five years ago or so, well, let me back up. In the, like 2013, 2014, I had a couple of clients who came in um, after the bankruptcy is over with, they had credit reports in hand. They're trying to correct errors on the credit reports. And these are mortgage companies that are screwing up their credit reports post-bankruptcy. These clients are trying to um, trying to refinance their mortgages. And to their credit, they had already done all the work. They had done the disputes, gotten the results, got turned down. You know, the results came back. Nothing was going to get changed. And these were serious errors in the credit reports. And so um, we filed suit on behalf of the clients against the credit reporting agencies and the mortgage company. And um, turned out these cases were worth a lot of money. I remember I was nervous as I'll get out before I filed my first one. And I called an attorney in Santa Fe, New Mexico named Dick Rubin, who was an FCRA uh, guru. And uh, to Dick's credit, he gave he quoted uh, cases off the top of his head, gave me sites to cases that were directly on point, And I added those to my complaint and filed suit. And those cases settled uh uh, really well for my clients and myself. And then, like I said, Crystal came on board about five years ago or so. And I was like, I really want to develop this part of the practice. So it was kind of by happenstance. Um, but then uh, I've really gotten into it. I go to the annual um, uh, conference on the Fair Credit Reporting Act um, uh, statute every year. And I learn from other experts around the country. And then I take that knowledge and add it to my practice. And where is that one this year? Do you know? Is it the one in? Um, it's in, in New Orleans. No, um, so Seattle in a, in about a month or so is the annual consumer rights litigation conference. Okay. The SRA conference is going to be in New Orleans, and I'm glad you brought that up. Um, so this year has been just fantastic for me uh, professionally. Uh, about two months ago, I was invited to be the co-chair of the National Committee of Attorneys who are responsible for producing 
the FDCPA conference next year. And next year, the FDCPA conference and the FCRA conference are going to be at the same time in the same conference in New Orleans. I love New Orleans. I love the food there. I love the music there. I, uh, I, um, yeah, I've always said if I hit the lottery, I'm going to move to New Orleans and buy a bed and breakfast and, uh, and uh, goof off there. But uh, so that hasn't happened yet. You're going to hit there. the attorney lottery? <laughs> I've had a couple of class actions. That pay- well, I, I've, she brings this up. I've had a couple of class actions that uh, turned out really well. It's kind of like hitting the lottery. Um, and uh, Eric, when this is done with, we're going to talk about that stuff. Um, so. Hey, when, when is that conference? It is the first week in May, I think. Okay. Hey, Crystal, so how did you um, become so interested in FCRA work, and um, how did you convince John to really let you take this ball and run with it? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I guess just after reviewing probably, what, at least 4,000 people's credit reports, um, yes, there's violations on the reports, but sometimes those violations aren't actually actionable. So you figure we're reviewing these reports. We have the reports, right? Because John has the relationship with the attorneys and we have the reports, we're reviewing them. But I kind of have the attitude that I want to help everybody. I don't want to like leave somebody, like basically just review it, right? And then be done with you. There's more stuff that you can actually be helped with. So if technically there can be an additional service or just something that they didn't know about before, it was kind of like a why not kind of thing. And then that's what started it to where I was like, hey, John, can I do this? And he's like, yeah, I have no problem with that. It's like, OK, what about this? And then he's like, yeah, I have no problem with that. So I was just like, OK. So then I just kind of started building from there and then figuring out different ways that could actually, um, I guess, stream another type of revenue. But on top of that, we've found that people don't like to just be called and offered a free service. They think mm. it's a scam. Most of the time I was the one having to call those people. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just like, people want us, like they're fine to pay for a service if they're actually interested in it. So if someone wants a service, they'll pay for it. If they're not really interested and you're the one actually venturing out to chase them, kind of like a, I don't know, We'll say like an ex-boyfriend, right? They don't want to be, they don't want to be messed with anymore. They're done. Like you, that's kind of how I view that. I kind of stole that from uh, Dave. Okay. You know, that's, that's, that's his, his logic. Yes, but yes. technically when you're chasing them, they're done. They're not interested. That's right. true. true. Yes. Um, to build on just a couple of things that Crystal said. Um, so what happened over the course of the last few years after kind of word got out amongst the local attorneys that I was doing really well with the consumer protection uh, lawsuits, um, I had a number of my colleagues uh, contact me and say, hey, John, can you take your system of FDCPA work and FCRA work and uh, use it in my practice and help my clients find um, uh, cases? And so I do that with a number of local attorneys and other attorneys around the country. Um, so I've been very fortunate in that regard. So when she's talking about 4,000 uh, people's credit reports, yep. that's where all that comes from. It's not just my practice. My bankruptcy practice is not that large. Um, and then another thing to kind of build on what she said, you know, um, uh, we looked at credit reports and we're looking for the serious violations like the mortgage companies uh, screwing up the trade lines, like I mentioned a few minutes ago. Those can be cases that are worth a lot of money. 
But there's going to be other errors that she mentioned that are significant to the clients and that are dragging down their credit score that maybe a lawsuit is not the best way to go. Maybe the client's not a litigious client. Maybe they just want their credit report uh, corrected or they want their score improved because they're trying to buy a car and they need a certain credit score. And I think that's where credit repair can come in handy at, that uh, the credit repair can help them improve that score in a very quick fashion so they can buy that car or get uh, qualify for the mortgage or something like that. Uh, hey, and John, and before we get into sort of the credit, the life after bankruptcy, the beyond bankruptcy, the, the credit repair aspect. So for our audience, can you speak a little bit more in depth about FCRA and when you talk about the serious violations sort of what you mean in, in general terms? Sure, sure. So we pulled a credit report about six months after the bankruptcy is over with, and we review those credit reports uh, for two things, trade line violations, um, and trade line violations are, um, and trade lines are those debts that are on the credit report. After the bankruptcy is over with, they should say account cooter and bankruptcy amount due with zero. Uh, and then we also review the credit reports for impermissible pulls. And um, and so an impermissible pull is where um, a creditor, let's use Citibank, for example, was included in the bankruptcy, client gets their discharge, and then it turns out Citibank is still accessing the credit report after the bankruptcy is over with, which is not, uh, which is not uh, legal because once the discharge is entered, Citibank has no legal purpose for accessing the client's credit report. And why do creditors do that, John? <laughs> so, like, uh, can I add something? Yes, about please, yeah, please. Oh, so basically you might think, hey, I can just look at this credit report and I can tell the same thing. Well, I'd love to tell you if that's possible, but there's a proper investigation that we actually do to see if it's actually a claim or not, to see if the client can get money from, you know, that that violation, to see if it's worth filing a lawsuit. So that's where John Steinkamp and Associates really comes in handy, right? Mm -hmm. So basically we do a proper investigation for the client to basically verify that um, it's a it's a case before, you know, before it's moved on to the, its next stage. And what um, can you think of some common errors that we can tell the audience to look for? Um, I think the main thing I'd want to add is if if you want to find impermissible polls, mm -hmm. list the debt. Uh -huh. Right? Like, Fine. I don't care. Like, say you owed T-Mobile years ago list the debt we're not going to find an impermissible poll if you don't if you don't list them so i hate to say it but you know like the sin legal the sin legal credit report if you just integrate that and you're not actually getting bills you're you, not going to find you may miss, yeah you may miss creditors That's so true. um what i tell um the bankruptcy side of my practice is you know um add anything and everything to schedule f if you're not sure whether or not the debt was included in bankruptcy include it add duplicates I add anybody who's ever touched this debt, debt buyers, debt collectors, whomever, just make sure that it's a it's a no brainer that this debt was part of the bankruptcy. It's better for the client um, in terms of making sure that the debts are wiped away in the bankruptcy case. And then it also protects the client down the road and um, uh, and gives the client the opportunity to have these potential claims because these creditors and debt collectors should not be accessing their credit report, but they they do anyway. And so, John, why do you why do you think creditors do impermissible pulls? <laughs> I have a I have go ahead. A, I have, so I personally think it's to see if they can offer them credit again. Right? They have access to your credit report. They're just doing an account review. 
Either that or they didn't take you out of their system when you filed bankruptcy. I think it has more to do with no one tells the computer that the person filed bankruptcy. Um, and uh, and there, then um, there's other theories. Um, um, so we, we, um, we follow certain trends and we make notes about trends that we see in terms of various creditors and debt collectors ac- accessing credit reports. And so there's, um, there's a lot to it. I would love to, um, to sit down with, uh, uh, you know, the credit report gurus for the big credit card companies to find out, you know, what their algorithms are. Cause that's all it is. It's, it's computer based algorithms. Um, but it, it'd be fascinating to me. I know that sounds like I'm a nerd and I have mm-hmm. nothing else to do on a Saturday night, <laughs> but, but it, it fascinates me. Um, so the, I, the, it, oh, sorry. go ahead, Crystal. Go ahead. No. The inaccuracies that he was speaking of, though, is pretty much so there could be something on your credit report. Yes, the debt was listed. It's negative information. So with credit repair, you focus on the negative, the negative trade line. So if it's hurting you on your credit report, we don't. So I want to make this clear. We don't practice law. We're not practicing law. All we actually do is say this is incomplete and inaccurate information. And most of the time, the funniest part is the data on the actual report itself contradicts itself between the trade line and the payment history. So give the give the audience an example of that. If you um, can. So I guess if your credit report says 180 days past due for three months, how can your report be 180 days past due for three months? That's an inaccuracy, right? That's, so three there's months no way it's accurate. Right. Three months is 90 days. So how can it be 180 days past due if it's the last payment was only 90 days ago? Or it'll go 180 and then it'll go okay and then it'll go 180 again. So, so John, for, for the audience that may not be practicing attorneys, um, does, that, does that inaccuracy lead to an action or do you have to give the creditor a chance to correct it? Right. You have to give the creditor a chance to correct it. So um, so there's a dispute process that you have to go through. Basically, the client's got to send a letter to the credit reporting agency saying, Dear Experian, you're screwing up this trade line. Please change it. Um, and then Experian has 30 days to contact the creditor and find out, OK, what's going on here? That's called a reinvestigation. Um, and, and actually, it's done very quickly. Uh, so that's good news for the client or the consumer that they're going to get a response probably about two or three weeks. It's not going to be 30 days. Um, and then that, unfortunately, here's the problem, though. That response is really difficult to read. Most clients don't get it. Unfortunately, these responses look like junk mail. So the client is very – it's common for clients just to throw it away because it looks like junk mail. And I, I hate to say it, but I think that's on purpose. Um, um, but the good news uh, – I suppose if the client wants a claim, the good news is, is that on a regular basis, changes are not made despite, you know, us sending documentation proving our point. The credit reporting agencies and the creditors don't change it. So then once we go through that dispute process and it's not changed, then under the Fair Credit Reporting Act, we can file suit or take other action. But you have to have that dispute process uh, or you have to go through that dispute process first. And uh, and they don't change it because why? It's just a matter of economies of scale. They just figure they're not going to get sued and they're not going to go to the trouble of changing it. Um, so what they do is typically they go back to the same computer that is in charge of sending out the erroneous information in the first place. And, they, and they're like, OK, the computer says this, so it must be right. 
and no one thinks that this is the same computer that's already committing the error. Um, and so I don't know why they do that, but they do, but go ahead. And then you have to keep in mind, though, when you dispute something, you dispute it directly to Experian, directly to Equifax, directly to TransUnion. And this part I've obviously learned through John Stein Camp Associates, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, through John is that uh, basically they have to reach out to the creditor. So you're reaching out to Equifax. They have to reach out to the creditor. And then the creditor is actually supposed to do a complete investigation themselves and verify or say that it's inaccurate and update it. It's that simple. If they don't, then you can use that to actually get it. Like you can use a credit repair organization can use that to actually get it removed because you're verifying an inaccuracy. And Eric, um, (laughs) I think at this point, it's probably a good idea to go over some common errors on credit reports post-bankruptcy. Oh, Uh, uh, So things that this is useful information for uh, bankruptcy practitioners and uh, and clients who have filed bankruptcy. And so post chapter seven, what are common errors that we see? So if you reaffirmed on a debt, so you actually filed, a, you know, signed a reaffirmation agreement and uh, you're current on that debt, sometimes it shows up still included in bankruptcy. Now there's a proper investigation though that has to be done with that again, because that specific creditor could actually close out the account you included in bankruptcy, and when you reaffirm, they could do a new account. So one could show up as included in bankruptcy, and the other one could show up as, you know, ongoing, timely. But here's the thing. Most of the time, this one shows up as included in bankruptcy. This new one isn't on there. They're not even reporting it. And so is that client, Yes. Yeah, and the client is harmed because of the client... Uh, if it was a correct trade line, the trade line would show payments made. Those payments made on a secured debt, which would cause the client's credit score to go up. But because the payments are not being reported, the client's credit score is remaining stagnant. Um, and certainly as a bankruptcy practitioner, that's one one of the reasons that we want them to reaffirm is because we do want them to rebuild their credit with the with the accounts that they're having no trouble paying, Correct. 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 And then um, post chapter 13, uh, a very common error is when a person files chapter 13, Eric, you should pay attention, and surrenders a vehicle or other secured debt, a boat, motorcycle, whatever. If they surrender that, pull those credit reports, and I will bet you there's a greater than 50-50 chance that that secured debt is going to show an amount due. For whatever reason, creditors have trouble in chapter 13s and properly um, um, uh, reporting uh, surrendered debts. They can't get it right. I had one client several years ago that had six secured debts. He had uh, two mortgages, two auto loans, a boat loan, and a motorcycle loan. And he surrendered all of it because he went through a divorce. And I got to tell you, after I got his credit reports, um, four out of the six uh, secured debts were uh, reporting incorrectly. Unfortunately, he did not want to file suit. He just wanted to correct him himself. But it, go, it proves the point, though, that creditors just don't know what to do with um, surrendered secured debts. Now, is that actionable during the Chapter 13 or does it have to go to discharge? Well, it is actionable during the Chapter 13. You're not going to make as much money from it. So that's a conversation you have to have with your clients. If they want to change during the 13, sure, it is actionable. Um, you know, they're going to get some money. The practitioner will get some money. It's worth a lot more money after the discharge is entered, though. 
What other common errors do you see, Crystal? So it's the same for like a car or a mortgage. Um, but a lot of times it's like your date of last payment could be wrong. And it could still say, it could still show a balance. So it could show a charge off. It could still show a balance on a debt that was included in the bankruptcy. Um, again, for the attorneys, right, that matters for damages. So you have to, it depends the amount that's actually showing. You have to do a investigation pretty much. So you do the dispute, send out the dispute. And then uh, technically, though, if a client wanted to do their own dispute, they could always reach out to Johnstein Camp and Associates. We can, we can mm -hmm. give them a template even to use, right? We just want to see the results. Right. For the most part, we just want to see the results. And then we can see if there's a more of an investigation that needs to be done to see if it's actually a lawsuit. Anything, anything more that you think we want to cover about uh, FCRA before we move into sort of credit repair and maybe what uh, Crystal's business can do? So the balances, for the most part, you want it to say zero after the bankruptcy. You want it to have a zero balance and you want it, the payment status, you want that to be correct. Okay. So if for some reason the payment status, and I should add this, if the information on the report is better for you there, leave it. Right? Yeah, we don't want to leave you worse off than we found good you. Point. Even if you're going to get a lawsuit, it's not it's not worth it, right? Like yeah. like you said, we want to build credit afterwards, right? That's right. So if it's helping you, leave it alone. Even That's if it. it's someone else's mm -hmm. debt. If it's helping you, leave it alone. But then you could actually go into yeah. uh, go. So, uh, what is it? Mixed files, right? Oh, yeah. 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 Mixed files. So, oh, yeah. Um, let's talk about mixed right. file. Mm -hmm. So, um, what Chris was talking about, mixed file, is where the credit reporting agency is getting two different consumers' information on one consumer's um, credit report. And this is common when uh, people have the same last name or the same names, et cetera. And this is kind of like the holy grail of uh, credit reporting cases. Uh, because the credit reporting agencies are not going to change it. And, um, and it really obviously it has a significant impact on the consumer's credit score and ability to obtain credit. And so if you find one of those cases, it's, you know, first it's got to be corrected for the consumer because their credit's going to go nowhere. But also it's going to be worth a lot of money to the consumer, um, because yeah, it, these have lasting impacts. Um, but, um, before we move on, I just want to say that I think it's important that anybody who uh, files bankruptcy, uh, gets their credit reports about six months after the bankruptcy is over with to ensure that they are correct. And, uh, and they should monitor their credit reports at, you know, continuously after the bankruptcy. I've had plenty of instances over the years where clients come back to me two, three years down the road and some old debt, often a mortgage, shows back up on the credit report as a viable um, trade line. You know, it shows, even though the debt was discharged in bankruptcy, the person surrendered the house. Three years later, Experian is now showing the house is in foreclosure and, you know, $160,000, you know, more than 180 days past due. And as you can imagine, that just wrecks their credit score. So it is important that consumers monitor their credit post-bankruptcy. And, John, there's an important uh, way for our consumers to pull their credit reports. Is that correct? We don't want them directly from Experian TransUnion. Don't we want them from annualcreditreport.com or does it matter? For the most part, you want the most data possible. So you want the annual credit report. But if for some reason you can't get that, 
You can also have them go ahead and pull, I don't care if it's Credit Karma, Smart Credit, what, whatever report it is. We can always look at that one and see if it's worth it to get the others. Okay. Excellent. But those aren't known to be 100% accurate. But here's the funny part. Neither is, <laughs> neither is annual credit report. <laughs> so how can you argue? Like, yeah. how can you argue? But legally, right, the attorneys, uh -huh. they want the annual credit report for an actual lawsuit. They want to see how it's reporting on annual credit report. But there's other attorneys out there mm -hmm. that have no problem actually filing a lawsuit we'll say against smart credit because they're reporting it inaccurately. You can always right. dispute it to them as well and have a potential. So there's, there's multiple avenues. So John, I, I know when my consumer bankruptcy clients come to see me, um, they, they worry about how the bankruptcy is going to number one, hurt their credit. Mm -hmm. And then number two, their follow-up question is how do I, or what do I do to repair my credit after my bankruptcy is over with? So, I know this is sort of your wheelhouse, Crystal. Give us some, give the consumer some tips. All right. So for the most part, you want, you want to look into either a secured credit card. So if you, this is on rebuilding credit mm -hmm, post-bankruptcy. Rebuilding. So basically you want to look into a secured credit card. Sometimes you can go to, um, well, actually, I can, if, if it's okay with you, I can send a link over. Um, so basically the podcast, they can go to my website, actually promote. We would um, love that. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Well, I, I promote um, basically because I believe in them. They actually report to all three uh, credit bureaus. There's uh, Merrick Bank, and then there's also um, Self, which is a credit builder account. So it actually shows up on your credit report like an installment loan. So you're going to build your credit faster. Awesome. Uh, another way that is piggybacking, which that's the same before bankruptcy, during bankruptcy, or after, uh, is auth basically becoming an authorized user, right? So become an authorized user on someone else's account. You don't have to have their credit card in hand. You're basically just getting their, basically, you're getting the history of their account. You're sort of piggybacking on them, right? Yeah, you're piggybacking off of them. But it's not going to hurt their credit, or it shouldn't. If it does, that's a lawsuit. <laughs> <laughs> that's when it shifts back. Uh, like, yeah, woohoo. Um, but basically, in a way, when you piggyback, you're building your credit. So you benefit from that because 35% of your credit score is payment history. Okay. So, and, and think about it. That's everything to someone who just filed bankruptcy, right? So that's why they look at probably anywhere between 150 to 200 point drop at the beginning because they filed bankruptcy. So their payment history is gone. It, is there a way to predict if um, clients follow your advice to the T and make all of their payments, how much their credit score increases in say the, the 12 months post bankruptcy? And I know that's sort of a very, difficult moving target question, but it. I can it, say there would be an increase legally and ethically. I can't say a specific, a sure. specific, you know, per percentage like that would just, but I can say that, uh, you know, people see improvements, right? You're going to see an improvement and the lower your score, the bigger of an improvement you're going to see just like as an individual, right? If we go get a car, 
you're going to have a bigger dip if you have a higher score. Whereas if you have a lower credit score, you're not going to have that big of a dip when you go get a go get a car or go, you know, go get a mortgage or something like that. But the so let me go backwards just a little bit. Say you're on the verge of a really good interest rate, right? You you need that house, right? And 680 is the typical um, what mortgages will actually touch. Like, okay, you're at 680, so and you're two years out of bankruptcy. Some of them, I think they've moved to three years now, though. Oh, really? But, yeah. But it, so some mortgage companies have now moved to three years post-discharge? Some of them have, yeah. It okay. depends on the mortgage company. Um. But anyways, so since you have, sorry, I lost my train of thought. So since you have the two year time frame or the three year, say you're really close, you're like 30 points away from being that 680. A lot of time, if you go get the uh, the credit strong or the self loan, uh, which again, that'll be on the, the posting here. Um, a lot of times you do see the difference that you need in order to get to the 680. Now, I hate to say it, but I can't, right? I can't fully predict what's going to happen because, you know, in my luck, I would say that and then your mortgage is going to show up again, right? So then you're like, well, you promised this. And then I'm like, I mean, well, I didn't predict that your mortgage company was going to show up magically, right? That's something else you got to dispute. I think the important message, though, is to get on track and uh, start rebuilding your credit immediately post bankruptcy, mm -hmm. um, especially if a middle-aged person, you have to have credit. Yep. You know, if you've got kids, you need credit um, to buy stuff on the internet. You need to have credit to rent a car, reserve a hotel room. You've got to have a credit card. And so the, and the biggest problem clients make, uh, or biggest mistake they make is that they're gun shy. And I get that post bankruptcy. Uh, they're probably a little bit worried about getting in debt again and trying to uh, uh, get a credit card. But I consider credit cards a necessary evil in this world. I think everybody should have at least one in this world. And what I tell clients is get that credit card. Um, do not run a balance. Do a couple of swipes, gas, groceries, whatever, each month. Pay it off in full each month. And then do the cycle over and over again. And over the course of 12 to 18 months, that credit score is going to go right back up. Um, that's that's exactly my advice, too. And I've found that it, that it works perfectly. And, you know, we try to teach them that it's it's not necessarily the credit card itself. Like you said, it's a necessary evil, especially in today's time. It's how we use them and uh, if we use them responsibly. And like you said, use it for a designated purpose, a small purpose each month and pay it off and then do it the same thing each and every month that uh, number one, it builds your credit and also it builds some very healthy financial habits, I think. Oh, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Budgeting um, post bankruptcy is very important and, you know, self-discipline, um, uh, you know, say no to yourself once in a while is very, very important. Um, I, I made a note here. I want to dispel some myths that are out there. Eric, I'm sure you get this in your practice. The client comes in and they're apprehensive about bankruptcy because they think that they won't be able to get credit for seven years or it's going to be on the credit report for seven years and never be able to uh, get a mortgage in seven years. I don't know where that number seven comes from in the world of credit, but everyone is hooked on this number seven. Um, and that's just not true. You're, you know, the client's credit is going to rebound post bankruptcy. Just a question of 
you know, how much will it rebound and the client is the person that's going to drive that rebound. Um, so, you know, forget everything you've heard that, you know, the credit, the credit report's going to have the bankruptcy notification on it. That doesn't matter. That's not going to change uh, your ability to get credit. It's getting back into the, uh, the world of credit. That's the important thing. And, you know, getting that credit card and slowly rebuilding that credit in a responsible fashion. Um, and, you know, forget about those myths out there about, uh, bankruptcy and credit because they're just not true. I completely agree completely agree and we we try to have that conversation as well and you know we try to have the conversation that credit the word credit or getting credit in and of itself is necessary and it's it's not this evil word word, word that we need to run away from we just need to um we need, you use it responsibly and um you know intelligently about how our spending habits go and how we pay it off each month mm -hmm. I agree. Again, I tell clients, you know, again, pay it off each month um, down the road after a couple of years, then it's okay to rent a balance. Rent a balance can help your credit score down the road, but, you know, you want to pay it off each month uh, when you're first starting out. What else, guys? Y'all have been awesome. So there's, uh, so for the credit repair world, um, pretty much you have, uh, there's inaccuracies on your credit report. And where my company comes in is, your average person, heck, if, if I had to do it myself and I didn't know how to do it, I wouldn't know where to start, right? It's overwhelming to know where to start. Um, now, if you go through an attorney that you guys recommend, <laughs> uh -huh. then uh, obviously that, that service, if someone wants me to review their credit reports, then that service is free. But if somebody else comes to me not through an attorney, then I do charge the for the review. Um, but if there's an inaccuracy that they want to see if they can challenge or say there's something negative that they just want to see, can I get that removed? Well, I'll gladly see if there's something you can do, you know, like we can do about it. If I can't do something, I may know somebody else who can. So I'll gladly, you know, it's, it's about the client. So it's about helping everybody. That's pretty much just my, I guess my philosophy. That's what I want to be able to do is just help everybody, especially those that, have filed bankruptcy. I was a bankruptcy currently go for years. So I know that background too. And I've dealt with that, you know, the ongoing, oh, I don't know if I should file bankruptcy. Well, I got news for you. While you're contemplating filing and while your credit is going down, like going down, the sooner you file, the actually better for your credit report. Yeah. Honestly, boils down to it. You want to use that for you know your your practice too to get people to file sooner. Completely. The faster you're going to rebound. Yeah. To build on that, often I have clients who come in and maybe it's a single mom. She's got thirty thousand dollars in credit card debt, and she makes about forty thousand dollars a year. She's got two kids, and she's had this thirty thousand dollars in credit card debt for two three years. A lot of it's charged off. Now it's gone to debt buyers. And she says, do you think I should file bankruptcy? And my response is, you haven't paid this debt so far, and it's only accumulating interest at this point, so it's not going to get any better. Yes, you should, because you've got mouths to feed, and I don't blame you for feeding your children before taking care of your credit. I'd, I'd feed my kids first, too. Um, and I tell her, look, you should file bankruptcy now, because it's not going to get better. It's only going to get worse. So this is your, your chance to have your first start of getting a fresh start in life. Um, so, and then Eric, one of the other things I tell all my clients, uh, and this is at the end of the consultation. And then I, uh, and I, uh, 
reemphasize it over and over again throughout my representation of the client during the bankruptcy is I tell them for the next five years after your bankruptcy is over with, if you ever have questions about your credit reports, call me, schedule an appointment. I'm never going to charge you anything to sit down and look at your credit reports. Or I tell them, you know, if uh, you're trying to buy a car or a house and the finance people come out and say, hey, look, there's something seriously wrong with your credit report. You need to have somebody look at this. Call me up. I'm free. I'm happy to sit down and see what's going on. And uh, chances are I'll find the error that's dragging down the credit score. And then I can help the client and either the credit report get, gets corrected after the dispute process or uh, it doesn't get corrected. Then the client's got a lawsuit where the client's going to make some money and everybody's happy. And you can bet at the end of that lawsuit, they're going to have a corrected credit report. It's certainly corrected after you win the lawsuit, correct, John? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's part of the settlement agreement is they give you the correct credit report. And so it might be corrected temporarily. Right? <laughs> We've also learned that it comes back. How funny is that? Yes. Or they yeah. double dip, right? Like they already had it once. They didn't learn their so, lesson the right. first time. So, yeah, we've had instances where the trade line is supposed to come off, and then a year later, the client shows back up. And like, hey, this trade line's back on my credit report. I go, oh, that shouldn't be there. Okay, it's a lawsuit. Or we catch them, you know, in their hand in the cookie jar, accessing the client's credit report post-bankruptcy. We sue them for that because they're not supposed to be doing that. And then we calendar the, um, the credit report to pull it uh, 12 months later. We pull it 12 months later, and there's that same creditor accessing the credit report again, even though they've already been sued for this once. So it's like, okay, now you're going to pay up even more. And then the client gets more money, we get more money, everybody's happy. And again, it's not that the, you know, the people at that company are evil and greedy or whatever. It's just nobody tells the computer to stop. So the computer keeps accessing it, just doing what it's been told to do. And, and so it's like, okay, free money for our clients and us. And so... Well, John and Crystal, I mean, you guys have been the most perfect uh, first guest. I think this topic is super interesting for not only attorneys, but also mostly for the consumers. And John, you know, what has always struck me from the first time that we met is, number one, you're just an excellent and skillful and knowledgeable practitioner, but also your willingness to share your knowledge and, and be a friend and reach out and give other attorneys advice. You don't find many people like that today. So, you know, from from my point of view in my heart, thank you for, for being that friend. Well, thank but, you very much. I appreciate that. And if anybody ever wants to call, I'm happy to talk. Awesome. Well, you guys, Crystal, do you have any parting words? Uh, just that if, if someone has an inaccuracy and they want it reviewed, or if someone has a, uh, what they consider, right, it's hurting them. Say they try to go get a car and they were turned down. Well, I got news for you. After bankruptcy, it's really darn easy to get a car. Yeah, so some things on your credit report that's probably stop, you know, that's probably stopping it. So if you ever want to email over your reports from annual credit report, or if you just want a sample of a dispute, we can gladly send that over and then follow up with you later to, you know, just make sure you got the results you wanted. Yeah, we'll get in touch with you about those links and about your businesses and uh, obviously, John, about your firm and hopefully, uh, have some people coming your way. But guys, y'all have been awesome. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you, Eric. Eric. It's been a lot of fun. Absolutely. Y'all have a great weekend. Thank you. You, you do too. the same. Thank you. Okay, guys. Bye-bye. You've been tuning in to Beyond Bankruptcy, financial knowledge for all consumers with your host, Eric Wilson. You can find prior episodes at www.ericwilsonlaw.com and on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. 
Thank you for your positive reviews, comments, and sharing this show with others. 